you can't poof gold in existence. People have been trying for, <laughs> for millennia, right? <laughs> That's true. I mean, gold is literally formed when two neutron stars collide. Right. I mean, it doesn't happen often. And, you know, the stuff's out there, and, but, but it's, it's rare. And people have recognized its value as money because you can't just fake it into existence like mm. you can a fiat currency. Right. And that's why fiat currencies all end up dying. Hey, y'all, put on your boots, grab your headphones, and let's get a little muddy as we build a community rooted in the love of dirt roads, whether dust or mud. Welcome to the Dust or Mud podcast. Hi, welcome back to the Dust or Mud podcast. Welcome to episode number 11. And today, super exciting, um, we actually have our first guest. I know. Welcome, Tim Arbeiter. Um, but before we get to Tim, um, let's just recap real quick what we talked about last week on episode 10. Episode 10 was the magic of raw A2A2 Jersey milk. It was. Yeah. And it is magical. It is magical schmagical. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the magic and I, I mentioned, I, okay, Tim, it's chemistry. This was the, <laughs> this was the Tim that, that I was referring to yeah. uh, about the magic and chemistry and Tim let me know that chemistry is magic. So yeah. that worked out really well. Thanks, Tim. You're welcome. <laughs> so on and this then, podcast, we like to talk about food, freedom, and farming. Yeah. And I think Tim brings a great perspective to all three of those things. I agree. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Mr. Tim. Well, Tim, from way up north, originally, yeah? Way up north, sort of. Sort of? Yeah, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. From a, for a Florida boy, that's, that's, uh, that's way up north. <laughs> well, no matter where you are, there's always up north from wherever you are. So That's yeah, fair. That's fair. That's fair. So from Wisconsin, joined the Marine Corps uh, fresh out of high school. Fresh out of high school, yep. Almost made a good decision by joining the Air Force, but... Very close. I took Very the physical and the ASVAB for Air Force. Um, my mother asked me if I talked to the Marine recruiter, and I thought she would have a fit if I went in the Marine Corps. <laughs> but she said, no, the Marine Corps is great. So, oh. guaranteed infantry. There you go. Into <laughs> so, the Marines. Um, out of the Marines uh, to, the, university. to the university, then to to become a chemist. Yep. And Chemistry have, and business, a dual major. Worked as have, a chemist now for... Decades? Going on 40 years, yeah, yeah. 37 years, I guess, I've been in yeah. chemi chemical business, so I've done just about everything from sales to distribution, worked in the plants, uh, yeah, pretty much everything. Awesome. And then most recently, and I, I hope we get to this point as uh, <clears throat> when we start the conversation, left a C-40 city to relocate to the Ozarks. Yes, and couldn't wait to do it. <laughs> awesome. We, we have got to get to that in the conversation. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Sweet. That's very, I mean, ah, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Okay. But how about a quick farm update? Okay. Um, not, not a whole lot has happened really. Um, Betty, our milk cow, continues to get better. She's producing more and more milk. She's putting her condition back on. Super happy yeah. about that. So Betty on the upswing and more milk in the refrigerator. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, she looks a lot better. Yeah. It, it, it was concerning. And now is looking way better. Thank you, Dr. Peters. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, we we put our two U flocks together this week. Mm-hmm. We had we've been having the new U flock and the older U flock or the fatties and the skinnies or however we however we <laughs> referred to them. The point being, we we worked the the older U flock across the farm and got them up into the same area with the new U flock. That was a pretty much nothing burger. They we put them together and they integrated almost immediately. And th- yeah. that was like it. <laughs> and now it's just a whole bunch of sheep. Yeah. All together. Yeah, exactly. And they seem to be doing well. Yeah. The the chicks are doing well. The beef chicks are doing well. The layer chicks are doing well. And we're one week from processing meat birds. Yeah. So that'll be coming soon. Yep. And uh, pigs to the processor also. Right. It's harvest season. We're ready to get them harvested. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's the farm update. Wow. Yeah, super fast. That was fast. Yeah, it was well, it was pretty, pretty quiet. Just normal. Keep every feed everybody and give them alive this week. Yeah, I think. Yeah, stand like standard farm. Not yeah. not a whole lot of crazy farm. crazy farm, <laughs> which is which is good. <laughs> yeah. So Tim, we're gonna we're gonna switch gears now. Over to you, man. All right. But, um, wanted to spend just some, a few minutes, some time, mm-hmm. just getting to know you. We've gotten to know you over the past year um, and really think that that's awesome and, and really cherish the friendship that, that we've built. Likewise. And I want to I share that with the folks that happen to listen or watch. And so I'm just, I've come up with some questions we can talk through and we can not, however, however it happens. But really my, my goal and the whole thing in this portion at least is to let the people know the the person that we've met is is really sort of what I was what I was hoping for. So, uh, as long as we get somewhere close to that, this portion will be a success. We pull the curtain away and just mm. that's right. You know. <laughs> so well, my goal is to pick your brain because you have a lot in there that I think that other people might be interested in. Yeah, as well. for sure. And that's why you're here. Yeah. Also. Yeah, absolutely. So we we mentioned that you've fairly recently transitioned from a C40 city to the Ozarks. So talk to us a little bit about your decision to leave, your decision to mm-hmm. come here specifically, and any any real defining moments there in, in that sure. uh, process. You know, guys, I think the journey really started about 70 years ago when my parents were expecting their first child. They were both born and raised in Milwaukee in the city, and they'd been living in the city, and they decided they wanted their children to have a little bit different life. So they found a new development out in the cornfields and the woods, and they bought a half an acre, and they built a house. And that's where I grew up. And, you know, it's interesting, the, the, the first pictures of the foundation going in, all you saw were corn stalks and trees. There was nothing out there. But I lived there almost 18 years, and I saw that place change. I saw development creep in. Of course, we were development at one point, and I saw additional development. And, you know, when I, when I was young, a boy could take a BB gun and go hunt elephants right out his back door. Right. It was adventure and it was just, you know, and then eventually it's like, well, you got to get on your bicycle and ride somewhere. And then it's like, you need a car. So that stuff really, it actually hurt my soul to see those things happen. Cherished places just disappearing and knowing that they're gone forever and no one else is going to be able to enjoy that. So when it came time to think about where do we want to settle, 
Kathy and I were looking at buying land in, in 2010, and my criteria were really pretty simple, and they were focused on, I don't want that to happen again. I want to end up in a place that I don't have to wake up one morning, like my, the dreams that I would have as a young boy, that I would go to my favorite place and it was crawling with earth movers, yeah. and it was being developed, and I'd wake up and, oh, you know, it's, it's, it seems strange, but that's what... I worried about yeah, sure. the encroachment. So, you know, we started using the internet, um, you know, low population density, flat to decreasing population, um, low per capita income. That does not support bureaucracy. And that's what I wanted. I wanted no bureaucracy or as little as possible. I don't want, you know, excellent uh, transportation infrastructure because yeah. that invites development, <laughs> yeah. right? You succeeded. Yeah. So, so <laughs> we, start. we left Harris County, Texas. The population density there is 2,772 per square mile. Oh, wow. Do you know what Ozark County is? Tell me. 11.5. Yeah. yeah. The per capita income here is 38% below the average for the U.S. Mm-hmm. Now, that sounds bad, but it's not necessarily bad because how do you spend your money? Right. Are you in debt? You might live high on the hog, but if you're riddled with debt, are you really free? Right. No, you're a debt slave, right? So people here don't have a lot of money as the world counts it, but they have freedom mm-hmm. that most of the world doesn't understand. Mm. So that's awesome. So that's, that's, awesome. that's sort of the process we went through. And, and you know, we found um, land right here in Ozark County and we started with 80 acres and we kept adding pieces that became available until you know now we're we're working on a place to live and building our solar farm and all that good stuff so it's fun that's really but that's cool. kind of how we ended up here i think it really started just a long long time ago yeah. seeing development but you know the interesting thing is that the the very thing that i wanted is actually creating the thing i'm trying to avoid so you, you have to be careful, you know, you chase something and you catch it and then it becomes something other than what it was before you caught it. Explain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So elaborate the, the, the acreage that we have now, mm-hmm. I've cut trees down to put in solar panels. I've cut down trees to put up a, a, a shelter. Yeah. Um, I've drilled a well, I've developed it. And we're trying to keep that development in a very small part of the acreage. You know, it's like one and a half, two acres out of the 281. But we're still changing it. And so I think, you know, it, it pays to think about, be purposeful and thoughtful about what we do to mm-hmm. the land. Yeah. And and for me, you guys are commercial farmers in a sense. I mean, you're farmers oh, yeah. first and foremost for yourself, but you also are commercial. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And for us, it's it's more about, you know, you talk about the ark, you know, building a place that can, can serve as that purpose yeah. for people. So should we define an ark? Yeah. What's an arc? Gonna, yeah. Well, we, we can go there can right go now. There, right? I yeah, mean, absolutely. So yeah, we, we teased that during the yeah. end of the episode last week that, yeah. that we were going to have Tim on and, and he's a, building an arc. Um, not, but you, not literally. Th- those, were, those were your words. I, yeah. I, I called it an arc. And I think you know, if, we, if we look at like a biblical arc, yeah. it's something that's designed to carry people or animals or things through a dangerous time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's a preservation capsule to get you from point A to point B and what's in between A and B is difficult. Yeah. So 
we'll probably get into this later, but I, you know, I see some difficulties for our nation. And I think about my family and I think about friends. And honestly, I think maybe 5% at best people in the country really sit down and give serious thought to what are, what are we doing and where is it heading for us and what sort of things should we be gaming out in our mind that we need to be prepared for? And what do you really need to survive? You need security, you need water, you need food. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So... I want to be in a place where I can have security and I can have water and I can have food. Mm -hmm. This gives me a, a chance, sure. yeah. you know, and, uh, and hopefully community. Because mm -hmm. that's the, the other essential, that's like the secret sauce that makes those other things work. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have community, you know, you, you can so easily lose any one of those three things and then you're, you're done. Yeah. But if you have community, hopefully when I'm weak, you're strong. When you're weak, I'm strong. Or where I'm strong... I can help you, and where you're strong, you can help me. So that's yeah. the, the arc is it's our provision that's going to get us from point A to point B. Yeah. Everyone thought Noah was crazy for building an ark, right? Right. He did. But it turned out to be a good turn. And we were looking at it. It took him, they don't really know exactly how long it took him to make it, but somewhere they estimate around 100 years. Mm -hmm. It feels like I've been working on my septic tank about that. <laughs> <laughs> So when, right? you, when you're digging a hole in the Ozarks, yeah, it takes a long it takes time. A long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> septic tank. doesn't take long to hit rock. No, no, it no, does not. No. So, other than rocks and septic tanks, what any any challenges that you've faced, either in in the development that you mm -hmm. talked about, or no. it, actually in the move here? Um, yeah, I think there was one really, really large challenge. And that was, so in 2013, I retired for the first time at 54, 55. I knew I needed to go back to work. I just needed a change. And a couple of things lined up and it made sense to retire. Well, a year later, I found myself back in the same company in a different job, but doing much the same thing. Building a second retirement, building a second 401k. So I said, okay, I got this retirement money. What do I do with it? Do I just sit on it? I thought, well, that's not being a very good steward. So I did a little, you know, looking around, and oil had been really getting pounded. And a lot of the oil services and exploration and, you know, the, uh, the deep water drilling companies were doing quite poorly, and their stock prices were very depressed. But they were still paying dividends. So you could invest in these companies at this lower price than what I was playing with them years before and get, you know, 8 10 12% dividends. I thought, I'm just going to stick it there. And if it never comes back up, that's fine. I'll just, the dividends are great. We went to South Africa on vacation in 2015. And when we came back, there was like $300,000 was gone. Oh, no. <laughs> in, in one vacation. Oh, you know, it's like, oh, my goodness. So then you're like, okay, mm, I'm not going to jump out now. You know, in the middle of the rapids, I'm going to, I'm going to ride this out because oil is the lifeblood of the country. Yeah. Well, nobody thought oil was going to go into the 20s and 30s and just stay there for an extended period of time. Bankruptcies galore. Oh, wow. So, you know, we, we ended up losing significantly more than $300,000. Right. And so that, that changed our whole perspective on when do we retire and what do we do once we retire? You know, we had these visions of this, you know, nice house with three master suites that siblings could come and stay for two weeks and they'd be comfortable and you know 
that's not going to happen now because all that money's gone. Yeah. So that was probably the biggest challenge in terms of, you know, and I'm still working. I turned 66 in a, in a you know, better of weeks and still working. And, you know, I thought, mom, I might work till 62 and then I'll be full time working on the place. Well, now I'm racing back and forth, you know, doing the weekend septic tank manufacturing thing. And so that, that, that was a challenge, but I think what it, what it, kind of illustrates and the reason I, I share it is I think it's important for people to have plan B's yeah. and plan C's and to understand that you know even though we do research and we think we're making a good decision it could really turn sideways on you really quickly and you find yourself in a spot but if you've really asked yourself what am I doing and why am I doing it then those are just obstacles to overcome they're not going to cause you to just completely stop it it's going to alter your course mm -hmm. and it may change you know where you exactly end up but you know we still wanted to come to Missouri we still want to have a place where people can come and be safe and and find solace and food and water and shelter but it just won't be as fancy as yeah <laughs> what we'd envision right understand yep wow hmm. I, wow well and I've had people say I, I I tell that story to people and they go okay, so you guys lost like a million dollars and are you guys still married or, you know, right. did your wife divorce <laughs> you or I'm like, no, we're doing better today than we, when we had the money. Right. They're like, how's that happen? It's like, yeah. it's perspective. It's, you know, where, where your heart is, you know, where your treasure is and our treasure is not in the money. The money was useful if we had it, but there are bigger and better things than, than the money. So, uh -huh. and I, I think our society, our culture has kind of lost sight of that. We've become very, you know, um, monetary centric to yeah. the extreme. Oh, yeah. And we're willing to leverage and leverage and leverage to try to make that extra Game. money. And, mm -hmm. and the risk isn't really being calculated. And, you know, I bought equities and, you know, the average person thinks, well, I, I own part of that company. Okay. What if that company goes bankrupt? Then what? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How much of your money are you willing to lose? Because... If you own equities in a company, guarantee they go bankrupt. You're not the first guy in line. Yeah. The bank who lent them all the money to buy the drilling oh, yeah. leases and the ships and all the other stuff, they get paid off first. And if they're going bankrupt, it's because they're insolvent. So how much do you think the bank's even going to get? Right. You're not getting anything. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems to me that's a fairly unique perspective on money. And I, I, I couldn't put a percentage to it, but you had mentioned that maybe 5% of people are actually thinking about what might happen in the future. It would seem that maybe even less than that would share that perspective on money. Do you, do you find a difference between where you left most recently in Houston and where you are now as far as perspectives on money? Like, is there a, a geographic area? Like, do you, you mentioned the the sort of depressed economy here and not necessarily there, do you find perspectives on money uh, correlate or do you think that it, it really doesn't matter? I, I don't think it's geographical. I think it's, you know, where you are on the income scale. If you've gone to college and you're, you're told, you know, you need to be making $100,000 by this age and you need to save up, you know, $1.2 million to retire, that's been beat into your head and you believe it. Hmm. and yeah. you, you're not self-sufficient, so you realize, hmm. I have to buy my food in a grocery store. Mm -hmm. If I have to have work done in my car, I have to pay someone to do it, right? 
how many bearings have you changed on your Ford truck? A bunch. <laughs> but think if you'd had to pay someone every yeah. time they were working on a piece of equipment or yeah. preparing a piece of food. Right. I couldn't afford to live like that. And, yeah. and the people here, they don't even expect to. They just know. We we, yeah. we have, have to fix it. Yeah, we just yeah. Yeah, get after it. Yeah, so I, I think it's income level based. Interesting. And and that's where we get to, you know, the whole idea of hardship, you know, the you know, the old saying you know, um, hard times make for strong people and strong people make for good times and good times make for weak people. Mm. So adversity builds a certain character, however you want to define that, and a certain perseverance. See that that or you're, you're curled up in a ball and you just mm. perish. Right. So if you can survive adversity, it just prepares you for whatever's coming next. So I think people should embrace adversity. They should embrace difficulty. Mm -hmm. They should dig their own hole for their septic tank. Yeah. Maybe use a you know just a, a toothbrush or something. <laughs> no, but point is that you know we're trained to not be self-sufficient and to avoid adversity. Mm -hmm. And we really ought to just put ourselves out there and say, you know what? I've made mistakes on the property doing various things. You know, fortunately, I haven't killed myself. I've got a few joints that don't work quite right <laughs> anymore. But but you learn, and 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 you can look at it and go, okay, you know that's. The solar farm, you know, we were told by a local guy it would have cost me $60,000 to have that solar farm developed. And mm -hmm. I, I did it with my 5 Series John Deere. Right. Yeah. For, you know, $100 worth of diesel and my time. Yeah. And some wear and tear yeah, sure. on the, yeah. me and the diesel yeah. and the tractor. But the point is, you know, mm -hmm. if we don't put ourselves in positions to even have those choices, we're never never going to learn from them so anyway i think that's so future goals it took noah maybe a hundred years yeah yeah well we're supposed to get concrete poured on thursday for the floor of the yeah the quonset so nice. you know, that's a step but but longer future i think for us what 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 we really want is to become a part of the community and to hopefully be a blessing to to people in some way, however, whoever God brings to us and in what way the people that have a particular need that we can, we can enter into their life and serve, whether it's tutoring or giving perspective of what it's like to live in a big city or, you know, talk about the military. Yeah. You know, they may have questions about that. And mm -hmm. is it right for me? And how do I process all that? So we, we hope that we can become plugged in with people that, um, that we can in some way enrich their life with, with no expectation of anything back because sure. we don't believe God's put us through what we've been through just to sit in, on the porch. Right. It's like we're supposed to be now going out and, and right. interacting and hopefully using the things that we've done, learned, learned. hopefully. Hmm. And sometimes it's sharing with people what you did wrong. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're doing learn, it. <laughs> learn from what I did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so you mentioned um, maybe sharing experiences and, and counseling people on things. Um, you were a Marine. I am a Marine. Ah. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't leave you. It hasn't left me. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I'm, I'm, give me a rifle. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Um, so... Talk to us just a little bit about how whenever you first left high school, mm -hmm. you went into the Marine Corps, they made you into a Marine, and how that has um, how that has changed your perspective on life 
in general and any specific, any specifics that you kind of have. Uh, having been in the Air Force, we, we know our mm-hmm. perspective, him in the Air Force, we know what our perspective mm-hmm. is, but the Marine Corps is just a little bit different. Well, and I and went in they, as an enlisted man as well, right. straight out of high school. Right. I wasn't an officer. And actually, that was one of the one of the things that really struck me in the Marine Corps was the stratification of society in the military. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's between the strata? A college degree. Mm-hmm. So you've got the enlisteds and, and you've got the commissioned officers. Mm-hmm. And education, specifically a degree of some sort, doesn't have to be any particular degree, but it's just you've proven that you can go be educated and you can meet the requirements and you can get the sheepskin. And uh, although I did have a commanding officer who was a Mustang, Vietnam, his officers were all killed and he got promoted out in the field. So it happens. But then when he came back stateside, he went straight to college and they got him a degree. He got a degree. So um, after about three years in the Marine Corps, I realized I'm I'm not going to make this a career as an enlisted man. I'm going to get out and go to school and, and get further my education right. and then see what happens from there. So um, that was certainly one thing I learned. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, the whole idea of, of service, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that motivated me to go in the Marine Corps, we were in the, uh, the height of the Cold War when I went in. The Soviet Union, you know, we, the, the propaganda going both ways, we were all deathly afraid of each other. And we'd been told by our own governments that the other guy was just ready to, he was trained to do nothing but to come take you out. Right. So I had this idyllic, you know, image in my mind of, of Americana, you know, two young people getting married and buying a house and having children. And, and I thought, you know, we've got freedom, we've got liberty. I'm not going to let them take that away mm-hmm. from these people. They're going to have to kill me to get to take it away. Right. And I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to do this. And I never really felt like that was pie in the sky or, or dumb. I think it was, I think there was a real need for people to step up at that time and, yeah. and stay strong and, and be ready. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the danger is always there right. and some of the danger is self-inflicted. But, you know, we, we have to be, uh, if we think our system is superior, we need to be ready to defend it. Mm. So that leads us to the, the following question, you know, if... If a youngster, high school senior, came to you and said, "Hey, I'm really thinking about the military and in general, and specifically the Marine Corps," you know, I'm hearing mixed signals on the news and and such. You've you've done it. You've lived it. What do you what do you tell that guy or girl? Are you ready to have your bags packed and on an hour's notice be on a plane heading into a fight? If you can't picture yourself doing that, don't go in the Marine Corps, don't go infantry Marine Corps, because that's what you'll have to do. I mean, we had air alert. When we weren't deployed, even when we were at base at Camp Lejeune, you you get air alert rotation, and your stuff is packed and ready to go, and you can't go anywhere without your superiors knowing where you are, how to get a hold of you. You've got to be back there within two hours, and then you're you're going. Everything's packed. Vehicles are packed. I mean, that's the life you live. Mm-hmm. And I know you had the same thing in yeah, the Air Force. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and <laughs> I have a friend that calls me an earth pig. He's probably going to watch this. <laughs> but, but I almost brought some crayons. Yeah, <laughs> he calls me a, <laughs> a crayon muncher too. <laughs> yeah. 
But, but, but there's some truth to it. I mean, you know, it's, it's a different kind of life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the, the ASVABs that are required for the average Air Force job versus the average Marine Corps job, you know, there's probably a 20-point difference. Right. And it's because the Air Force is highly technical. And if, if, if you like technical things, if you've got a mind for those things, you want to go in the Navy or the Air Force probably because they've got the best jobs there. And those are jobs that you can translate right out into the civilian world if you decide to not make it a career. Mm-hmm. The things you get in the Marine Corps, especially in infantry, are much less tangible. Mm-hmm. They're real, but, but you're not going to go to a company and say, you should hire me because I learned how to do this, this, and this. They're going to look at you like, we don't do that here. Mm-hmm. You know, sorry. Hopefully you learn perseverance, mm-hmm. you know, attention to detail, you know, um, mission, how important the mission is. Yeah. That, well, you know, you're willing to sacrifice yourself for a mission that's bigger than you are. So there are a lot of changes going on in the military right now. I don't know if, mm-hmm. the, if you are, keep your finger on the pulse of that. Um, just the overall mentality and uh, things coming down from the top, uh, from leadership and being re- being asked of service members across all the branches mm-hmm. to conform to certain ideologies across the board. Um, that's just kind of everywhere right now. Mm-hmm. And considering those types of things and the direction of the entire broader nation and everything, would you recommend a young person join and defend the same way that you did during well, the Cold War? Well, you know, Going into the into the uniform services is a sacrifice, mm-hmm. any way you slice it. And the question would be, are you willing to sacrifice your ability to say no to certain things in order to still serve? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some things are non-negotiable, but okay. you have to figure out for yourself which things are negotiable mm-hmm. and which things I'm willing to negotiate on in order to achieve that higher purpose that might be there for someone that's going in. So it's, it's not a question I can answer for anyone, mm-hmm. but it would require some soul searching and you just have to ask yourself, you know, how far are you willing to go? Mm-hmm. And what are you willing to take of your own personal beliefs and say, I'll subjugate those to mm-hmm. the greater good. I mean, there are things you could ask me to do that I, I don't care what it is. I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, but there are things that I wouldn't like to do that I might do in order to achieve right. an end goal. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing for an 18 year old to figure out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 60 year olds, 70 year olds struggle with it. Right. So, mm-hmm. very good. Yeah. Not the answer you were expecting. Well, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting anything. Oh, okay. I just, to, I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were. Yeah. Yeah, I think no, it's, good. I it's just right off the cuff. I mean, yeah, I didn't exactly. <laughs> that's yeah, that's really, really just good. winging it. So shifting gears, you have a an interesting digital identity. You think? I do. So the Please. short story there is when when um, we we write a a blog or I write a blog and um, we had, we had met you about a year ago, October uh, last year, and. Um, shortly after that, I didn't correlate the two, but shortly after that, um, there was, there was a, uh, a commenter on a lot of the blogs and it was anti, A-U-N-T-I, auntie, auntie Fiat. Mm -hmm. And the first few times, 
um, we're notified when somebody's on the website looking at a page and the, the IP address of where they're where they're uh, looking from. So like if like we we have Starlink, so it shows up as coming from Dallas, right? That's where their IP address is. So um, anti-fiat was coming from somewhere in California, and so we were we were perplexed the first time it was like, okay. And then this, you know, next blog, there was another comment from anti-fiat California. And we're like, man, I can't think of anybody that we know in California. And I that assumed would, that it was a female because that would be, you know, commenting yeah. that we would know of as anti-fiat. I mean, we know people in California. We've got friends and family we have there. Friends all over the yeah. Whole and so like world. the, the California wasn't it. Yeah. It was the, who do we know that identifies as anti-fiat? And obviously because it was anti, it was a, a female, right? A and female so, Italian car. Right. And then right. I forget exactly how it, we ended up putting it together. And it was like, Oh my God, that's Tim. <laughs> so you've got to talk to us about Auntie, Auntie Fiat. Auntie Fiat. Yes, it's a man who identifies as a female Italian car. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like he should join them. No, yeah. <laughs> oh. It's a play on words, obviously. Uh -huh. um, in, in Wisconsin, we pronounce that auntie. Mm -hmm. My aunt, whatever, or yeah. auntie, whatever. Mm -hmm. Me too, in Florida. Okay. So anti-fiat. And fiat is a reference to fiat currency. So it's one of my pet peeves, yeah. this idea so we that don't, we... we don't know what fiat is. So fiat is a Latin word, and it, it means either like a decree or um, let it be. So okay. if, I'm, if I'm the sovereign ruler, I can decree by fiat without any, you know, consultation or any reason other than I just want to do it, I can decree that you guys are now farmers uh, in Ozark County and this is where you're going to live and this is what you're going to do. So fiat currency is something that um, is not intrinsically valuable. It does not have uh, inherent value. It's just something that the government decrees and poofs into existence and says, this is your money. And it's not really money, it's, it's currency, because money has a function that currency doesn't have. One of the key functions of money is preservation of wealth. So if you work 10 hours and earn $100 worth of gold, and you put that gold away for 100 years, 100 years later, the gold's going to buy the same thing it did 100 years earlier. And my favorite example is a, a one-ounce $20 double eagle from 1883, you could walk into a store and buy a Winchester rifle and 500 rounds of ammunition. Mm -hmm. You could, with that one ounce double eagle today, buy a Winchester rifle and 500 rounds of ammunition. Because it's not worth $1,900. Well, the double eagles are $2,100 because they have numismatic value, not just the gold. But the point is it preserves wealth. Fiat currency does not preserve wealth because the government poofs it into existence. And why is that bad? If you've got a trillion dollars floating around in the economy chasing the goods and so services. the dollar is a fiat currency. The dollar is a fiat currency. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've had these conversations, but we're going we're gonna to keep picking yeah, because yeah. not everybody has him. Sure. So the, the dollar's backed by gold. Yeah, it used to be. It used to be partially well, backed by gold. No, like we've, yeah, we've got gold and yeah. Fort Knox. Yeah. Fort Knox. Yeah. 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 And that's when was the last time that was audited, by the way? Is it? Uh, Gee, have you seen? 
Oh, yeah, that's right. It hasn't been audited. So, so the U.S. really amassed quite a bit of gold during World War I. We entered the war really late, and we spent the first part of the war making stuff for the Europeans and getting their gold because they were busy killing each other. Mm -hmm. And then World War II, we stayed out for the first few years, and we got some more gold. And by the end of World War II, we had like close to half of all the world's gold reserves just in the U.S., so we were, the, we were the elephant in the room. So when the Bretton Woods Council came together to decide what are we going to do about money as World War II is winding down, the United States got to be the reserve currency. And only the dollar was pegged to gold. All the other currencies were pegged to the dollar. So they were only pegged to, the, to gold through the dollar. But the dollar was going to be anchored to gold at $35 an ounce, and it was just going to be you know, a, a certain fraction reserve. It's not dollar for dollar. But what happened pretty quickly after that is the U.S. started printing more dollars than we had gold reserves. And as early as the 50s, the nations in Europe knew what we were doing, and they started taking their dollar reserves and giving them back to us and saying, we want our gold. Here's, here's my billion dollars. I want a billion dollars worth of gold. And the straw that broke the camel's back was when um, de Gaulle from France came and sent a warship, said, put our gold on my warship. And that's when they were like, okay, the jig is up. You know, we've got to do something. And then Connolly, who was the Secretary of Treasury at the time, hatched this idea that, you know, we're, we've got to get off this gold standard because it's going to kill us. We're going to lose all of our gold. The U.S. had lost roughly half of its gold reserves by then, by 71. So August 15th, 1971 is when Nixon came on TV and said, there are people raiding the U.S. Treasury and they're we're going to defend the dollar and we're from these bad guys. You know, we always make it out like the other guys are doing something wrong. Right. We were the ones that were. And really, they just wanted their gold. We were defaulting on the Bretton Woods Agreement. Uh, right. Bit by bit by bit. And then we really defaulted on it when we said, we're closing the window. You can no longer convert your U.S. denominated assets into gold. We're not, we're not doing it anymore. And yeah, so, so if you look at a chart of, of, of US GDP versus money supply, up until 71, they tracked pretty closely. After 71, when they completely you know, got rid of any illusion that we were gold-backed, the dollars just, they just started printing them like crazy. And of course, you know, we had horrible inflation in the 70s. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, you guys have heard about that. Mm -hmm. We lived through it. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we've just had these cycles in the 90s. And then, you know, 2019, we had our debacle and... You know, and we just we just keep printing more money. That's so, do you think answer. that seventy one is that when it changed from money to currency? I mean, if it was pegged to gold, was it was it money at that point? No, no. As long as as long as there was not a requirement for the government to be fiscally disciplined, because they had to maintain a finite ratio of gold reserves, then it's no longer money. As soon as you can start printing more of that stuff, you're debasing the dollars that are already out there. Mm -hmm. So when the dollars in circulation surpassed the the, the agreed to the agreed reserve, to rate. reserve yep. amount of gold, mm -hmm. as soon as you surpass it, it's now You've no default. longer money. You've essentially defaulted on on the promise mm -hmm. because those dollars are now raising the price of everything because there's more dollars right. chasing a finite pool of goods and services, so the price goes up. And then, you know, we did that in spades after the 08 great financial crisis. 
And everyone was, you know, like, well, how come we didn't have inflation? You know, they dropped interest rates and they were printing money and monetizing all this debt. You know, the Treasury is creating Treasury bills and, and auctioning them off and whatever doesn't get bought. The Federal Reserve comes in and buys them and poofs money into existence. And But see, what they did was with those low interest rates, there was no place to put your money to make money other than the stock market mm. and real estate. Yeah. Because, you know, real estate went up because now mortgages were cheap. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, used to be with a 7% mortgage, you could buy a $150,000 house. But now with a 3.5% mortgage, you can buy a $300,000 house. Mm-hmm. What happens to the price? Mm-hmm. It goes up. Yeah, sure. It just, it's, it's like putting water in a bathtub and watching everything go up. Same thing with the stock market. People are like, you can't get returns putting your money in fixed income or in the bank. You got to go in equities. All that money is piling into equities. The stock market blows up. So there was, well, let's define inflation. Inflation is not prices going up. Inflation is an increase in the money supply. The result of the increase in money supply is prices go up. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, why didn't prices of, you know, X, Y, and Z go up? Well, prices did go up, but the the asset classes that went up made people feel richer and they liked it. Mm -hmm. When your house goes up in value, you're happy. Mm -hmm. When your stock portfolio goes up, you're happy. Right. But if it's all built on debt and leverage, you know, it's, it, yeah. it, it's, it's, there's risk. There's what we call counterparty risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other people have to do things in order for your investment to remain, you know, viable. Mm-hmm. We learned that the hard way in 2015, 2016. Right. Um, and, and it can be things completely out of the control of the, of the folks that are running the company. It could be decisions that are made with Saudi Arabia on mm-hmm. how much oil are we going to pump and what's that going to do to the price? You know, do we want to, do we want to hurt Russia and lower the price of oil? Great. Let's pump the heck out of it. You know, we'll do our fracking and you guys pump and we're going to drop the oil price from a hundred dollars to 25 or 30 mm-hmm. and we're going to choke Russia. But it also chokes people that, you know, there's a lot of collateral damage when you do stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So, but it's all, you know, anyway, Anti-fiat. So I'm anti-fiat because I think it's dishonest. We need, I think we need honest money, real money, that, that requires fiscal discipline. And people say, well, but people can't have a TV in every room if they can't borrow the money to buy it. Okay, well, maybe we read books to each other. So are you a, are you a crypto guy? I am not. I am not. It's, it's a lot of people talk about that as the the really the only answer for real money. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm I'm a luddite. You know, I am. I'm a luddite. Uh, and and yeah, I so like keeping, explain luddite for folks. Well, Ludd was a guy who you know it was back in 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 England. The, the printing presses were coming out and taking jobs away from typesetters, and they're like, just destroy that stuff. You know, they don't like progress because of the the secondary and tertiary effects, mm-hmm. you know. The, 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 I think we've got a few of those coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we love the first order effects of what we do. Yeah. You know, we're creating apparent wealth, but the second and third order effects are, you know, diminishing our families and our society, and they're creating people who don't know how to persevere in hardship because everything's been handed to them. And is that good? So I'm sorry, I cut you off. The the crypto. You crypto. said you don't. You're a luddite, so you don't believe it. But like, I don't. And the fact that you don't uh, like progress. Mm-hmm. Do you do you just not want it, or you don't see it as a viable option? The the latter, and and the reason is I, for the very reasons I don't like fiat currency. 
it seems to me that crypto is almost like uber fiat because mm. at least mm. with a dollar i can i can hold it and you and i can trade it and mm -hmm. if we both agree that this dollar is worth something but if the power goes out and the internet shuts down how do i how do i use crypto mm. i mean can i i mean uh, educate me i'm i'm thinking without electricity and without the internet I don't know how I'm going to yeah, I don't, transfer I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. crypto. No, I don't, I don't have an answer and, and if people have confidence in, in paper money, which seems kind of, you know, when you think about in terms of like gold and silver, I mean, we started as a bimetallic monetary system, mm -hmm. right? And in the Constitution, it says if the states are going to make any money as a state, it has to be nothing other than gold and silver coin. Right. So, so gold and silver were recognized as money, and they've been recognized as money for thousands of years, right? Now we've, you know, the, the Chinese actually were the first ones to, to do the paper currency thing in a big way. Hmm. And, you know, they, they blew it up. And, and, and every fiat currency has blown up yep. at some point. I mean, it's just, just hang around a while. It'll happen. Yeah. yeah. So I see crypto as sort of like even more, you know, out there in the ether. Mm -hmm. I can't touch it. I can't see it. I can't, I can't melt it down and make a bullet out of no, it. No, you can't. <laughs> I can't melt it down and make a ring out of it. Yeah. I yeah. can't make a necklace. You know, I mean, what can I do with a Bitcoin? It's like imaginary in the Ethernet. And so that's how, do you, why, how do you see this happening then? We've got 30, almost four now trillion dollars of debt. 35.5. 35 now. 35.5. 35 we, we turned 35 like a week or week and a half ago. We've added a half a trillion dollars in debt in the last like 10 days. Awesome. So you, you've got 35 trillion dollars of debt. How do you... Base, how do you change the system such that it's now gold-based? Yeah, it's painful, especially as far along down the road as we've gotten. Mm. Kathy will laugh. My, my analogy, I've been using this analogy for 10 years, and it's a little crude, but it's, it's, it's fit for family, I think. I liken our fiscal situation to a raccoon caught in a leg hole trap. He mm. has two choices. Yeah. He can either just lay down and wait for the trapper to come shoot him in the head, or he can chew his leg off and hope he doesn't bleed to death as he makes his getaway. But that's what, what anyone who's basically doing what we're doing, you're either going to have to hyperinflate your currency and make your debt become basically nothing. Like a loaf of bread is a trillion dollars. So Which was just, after World War I what Germany did, right? Exactly. Before, before the end of World War I, an ounce of gold in Germany was 170 Deutschmarks. And by twenty by nineteen twenty four, it was like a hundred and seventy trillion. Wow. I mean, it's just mm. it's like that. It's unfathomable. But that's that's Hi, hyper, hyper, hyper that's, truly. That's, that is hyper. They were paying people like at one point every hour. You get paid. Your wife would come, give her the money. She'd go to the store and hope to find something to buy with it. Because if you waited until tonight, the price is going to be double, or it's going to be gone. Oh wow. Mm. Wow. And and that didn't really settle in until people lost confidence in the money. People were hoarding dollars. Mm -hmm. um, you've got Gresham's Law. Gresham's Law says good money, bad money drives good money into hiding. Mm. So if you've got gold and silver and you've got dollars and you have to spend money, you're going to spend the dollars mm -hmm. as long as they buy something and you're going to hold the gold and silver back. Right. Well, people were actually kind of burying their Deutschmarks underneath the mattresses and whatnot. But then at a certain point, it got to the point where all that money started coming out of hiding and flooding it in the market because people were losing confidence in the system, in the government. 
And of course, Germany was hugely in debt for the war reparations, and they knew there was no way they could pay it back with right. Deutschmarks that were worth, you know, 170 of them to an ounce of gold. So they had to make it so that they could pay back their trillions of Deutschmarks with Deutschmarks that were just printed and worthless. I had the thought the other day, I'm like, should we get it while we can? Whatever the things are. As as we see the if, if we see some if we see in something impending, you talked about an arc. We've talked about the debt. We've talked about the the dollar. Uh, we haven't talked about de-dollarization, but folks can look it up. Like there's there's a lot of things that are happening right now. What Shelley's talking about is it, we've we've had the conversations. Are are in your opinion? Are we getting to the point where if you want a thing, you better get it? Like, do you do you see? Is there like impending um, hyperinflation to where you, the the money that you have is not going to be able to get you the things that you want or need? There's a website called Shadow Stats, and this gentleman has for years been calculating the rate of inflation based on the criteria that we used during the Volcker years in the '80s hmm. when we were suffering that that inflation, and he raised rates to twenty percent to, mm -hmm. to stifle it. So the government right now will tell you inflation is, you know, 5 6%. Shadowstat says right now it's 11 or 12. And they've consistently been basically double what the official government number is. And, you know, they can cook those, the, the basket of goods. They can, you know, they can pull out, you know, the, the beef and put in something, some substitute. So the, way they, the way they calculate inflation is they put together a basket of goods. Right. How much... <clears throat> Sorry, how much did that basket of goods cost? And then next year, it's supposed to be how much does that same basket mm -hmm. of goods cost? So what you're saying is, they take they take out the they, they take out the fillet and they the put basket? in they put in hot dogs. Mm -hmm. You still have a pound of meat, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but instead of fillet, it's now a hot dog. That's right. So the, you're saying they're not actually comparing basket Apples. to basket. Correct. Really, they're comparing a different laundry basket worth of goods now compared to what well, inflation instead of was apples before. to apples they're doing apples to oranges yeah. they're doing nice apples to rotten apples oh. okay and, it, and it's yeah, having rather, a significant effect it's not okay. like you know five percent versus six mm -hmm. it's like having the inflation rate if you use the volcker basket wow mm -hmm. yeah it's it's very significant okay so so i guess my point is i'll, I'll make a couple of comments one is one of the things i learned from our episode in fifteen sixteen is Diversification is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, don't let yourself get too many of your eggs in one basket. So right. we live in America and the, the currency of the realm is the dollar. Mm -hmm. So you probably want to have some dollars. some dollars. Now, the question I ask myself all the time, and Kathy and I discuss it all the time, is how many of those dollars do you really want to have? And, and frankly, we've got dollars that we have no control over. They're in a retirement plan. Right. They're in an HSA. They're... You know, right. so it's like how much of the stuff you have control over do you want to have in dollars? Mm. And, you know, that that's a decision that any individual or couple just has to make. But, you know, I think the first and foremost, people need to make sure that they can eat, that they have water to drink, and that they have a place that they can be safe. If you don't have that, all the gold in the world is not going to help you because you won't you won't live long enough to spend it. So take care of those basics. And, I, and that's where we go back to the whole idea of hardship and austerity is that, you know, I think, you know, having to go out in the field and live out of your backpack for a week, yeah. 
you know, teaches you a lot about what's really important. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden things that I thought were important, it's like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? How am I going to keep the rain and the snow off me? Mm -hmm. Am I going to be able to start a fire so I don't freeze to death? Those are, you know, so take care of those things and make sure you have those things covered. Mm -hmm. You know, the food, the water, the shelter, the security, some community. And then as you, as you can, you know, any money that you think you have access that you don't want to lose, Personally, silver gold. Mm. So we, we, to, to sort of drive that home, you, you mentioned it, but not in that specific conversation. You believe precious metals, wealth preservation, not wealth generation, but wealth Correct. preservation. Yeah, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a way to, to take your purchasing power that you have right now in dollars and lock it up and transfer it over to whatever comes next. So that it'll still actually buy something because the people that hoarded a, a trillion Deutschmarks in 18, 1923 come 1925 Brad. light your fire in your wood stove with Maybe. them, right? Yeah. I mean, paper your wall with it worthless. Mm. And that's, that's, that's currency. Mm. Anything that a government can poof into existence. They can poof out of existence. Exactly. And, you can't poof gold in existence. People have been trying for, <laughs> for millennia, right? <laughs> That's true. I mean, gold is literally formed when two neutron stars collide. Right. I mean, it doesn't happen often. And, you know, the stuff's out there, and, but, but it's, it's rare. And people have recognized its value as money because you can't just fake it into existence like mm. you can a fiat currency. Right. And that's why fiat currencies all end up dying because... Human beings are greedy, we're selfish, we don't like to have to say, okay, I won't do what I want to do, I want to do what I want to do, I don't want somebody telling me no. So I print, and I spend, and I buy votes, and, but you know, it all looks great until it's not. Mm-hmm. My analogy is, you're on the Niagara River in a canoe, and you're going down a foot every half mile, and it seems so placid and so nice, and I think I'll take a nap. And then all of a sudden you hit the falls and you drop 167 feet and just like that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how these things usually happen. The old, you know, you've heard this a thousand times. I get sick of it, but it's true. The old uh, asking Hemingway, how did you go bankrupt? And he said, well, slowly at first, but then all of a sudden, you know, it's like that's how stuff happens. Right. You know, it's like I was rich one day and then all of a sudden I was poor. <laughs> and if you're not prepared for that, it's quite a shock. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, it's... Something that I think we all should think about and how do you preserve what you, you know, you've spent a lot of years working for things. You don't want to see it just, just yeah. evaporate before your eyes. Right. Yeah. And that's why we're real happy to have land mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we can shelter. We've got, you know, we could, we could heat a hundred homes in perpetuity with right. the wood we have on our property. Sure. God forbid. But you know what? A forest fire could come through and torch it all. Right. So you got to have yeah. a plan B. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. And the plan B is, a, you know, an ICF dwelling that you can heat with very little. Very little. Very little. So, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. sorry, I ramble. Oh, that's no, great. No, it's a great conversation. No, it's great. So tie to, to put a bow on it, tie in forest, anti-fiat and building an arc. Wow. Uh, to me, they, to me, they come together. Oh, they do. Yeah. I think. You know, the, the arc is about something tangible, something real, something that perseveres, that can 
create life, sustain life. Fiat does not sustain life. Fiat actually allows you to live in a bit of an illusion, mm-hmm. in, in a, something that's not reality. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we can place ourselves in reality and live in the real world, I've got a coworker, she, she starts, you know, with things and, and I'll say something that she just doesn't fundamentally like. And my response is, I'm just being the mayor of Reelsville. That was Rush Limbaugh's line. <laughs> I'm being the mayor of Reelsville. I'm trying to kind of dial it back for you. you know, like you're off in La La Land. Here's the real deal. Mm. I think we all need, you know, a taste of Reelsville. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have to suffer, you know, failures. I mean, how many failures have you guys had out here on the farm? Oh, wow. You know, you learn about parasites. You think you have it licked. Oh, no, you don't, right? Yep. You got to, you know, go back and rewrite the rule book. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it's it's life, though. And right. it, the knowledge base that you build, though, ends up becoming just of such great value. How do you put a dollar value on it? You can teach you can teach us how to avoid the problems that you had right. as, as we go about trying to raise some food. So, yeah, I think that's how I would kind of tie together. I think, I think, you know, you're talking real and real. Yeah. Let's, let's not live. If you spend your time watching reality TV shows and, and you know, thinking dollars are the answer to everything, those are all kind of like, no, maybe not really. Yeah. She and I, we, we have the conversation often, actually, that this is real. What, what we're doing right here and folks are being able to listen to or watch. Uh, this is not the first time we've had these conversations with Tim. This is that is real for us. The community that's built by this real interaction, the real conversation, people mm-hmm. standing or sitting next to each other and looking each other in the eyeballs, the real eyeballs, <laughs> not the virtual eyeballs, mm-hmm. and right. and actually having conversations about more than the weather is and, and truly building the community that you talk about or that you mentioned, like that's real. And that's that's very important to us. And one of the main reasons we wanted to start doing this whole um, venture with with the podcast is to try to to build that real community to let let people see that it it can it can happen it can mm-hmm. be there we can build a community mm-hmm. it can exist and it really is important to to do that to get together to build that community mm-hmm. yep. so i agree and i think it has to be intentional but you can't force it yeah. It, oh, yeah, you know, it, it's like you want to build community, so you do things to put yourself in a position to have that happen. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it just might not be right, right? And and you have to recognize that too. You know, in our case, I'll speak for myself. It feels right. Oh, this is easy. You know, yeah. it's like okay, yeah. You know, it's right. it's. My friend Dan says, "Battle buddy." You know, it's yeah. like we're we're battle buddies. I mean, something happens, you know. Yeah. I'll give you an arm and a leg if I have to, <laughs> right. you know, and cause it's reciprocal. And yeah, so, sure. you know, we're here for each other. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you can do that in a place like this because people are more, I think, um, intuitively open to that. Mm. I mean, gosh, we lived in, in the same house in Houston for 17 years. It's like there were people on our street we never even met. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, you're so insulated and isolated and it's just, it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's not not good. Yeah. Not good. So No, it's not. It's not good at all. Cool. Well, 
So you say to us, and you've said it a couple of times, that, you know, we're committed to you guys and we're committed to you guys and battle buddies and in this together. And um, we farm, we grow food, beef, lamb, chickens, dairy, milk, all, you know, those sorts of things. And you've made several comments to us in reference to you guys are doing this. We want to support you as, as you're doing this. And we're committed to what you guys are doing here as far as the community is concerned and stuff. So would you mind elaborating on your thoughts just a little bit on that? Whenever a person is committed to community like that. So I guess this, we talked about this a a week or two ago. I I think I used the term selective dependence. Mm. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you kind of looked at me funny, you know, like, well, what's that? So, so we talk about liberty and independence and all that stuff, but, mm-hmm. but in any human relationship, there's, there's give and take. There's, you know, here's my silo, here's your silo, but there's this amorphous, you know, it's kind of like the poly exclusion principle. You got this electrons over here, and this, it, but it gets over there, but where is it in between? And so there's this, this place between us that exists that, that we venture into, and uh, I'm, I'm dependent on you doing your thing, and you might be, te- be dependent on me doing my thing, but it's a, it's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's like when you get married and you're, you have a spouse. You're saying, yeah, I mean, we're going to have a division of duties. We're going to back each other up. We're going to depend on each other. If one of us doesn't do what we're supposed to do, it's going to hurt the other person. But we're willing to work through those things. And, and you know, because human beings are human beings, right? We all, you know. So I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's about understanding that I don't want to duplicate your efforts. You guys are becoming expert at what you do. <laughs> and so from, from an efficiency standpoint, you know, here's my, you know, corporate sort of chemical industry thing. It doesn't make sense for me to duplicate what you're doing and do it not as well as you. If you can do your thing enough for me and then there's something I can do for you, like you may never have to cut firewood again. Right. You know, it's like right. Tim will just come over with a big load of firewood once yeah. a year and you're set, you right. know, that kind of thing. Right. I mean, yeah. or, yeah. you know, you have a tree fall across your lane. Mm-hmm. Tim, oh, get over goodness. here, yes. cut my tree. Yeah. I'm like, that's what I'm made for. Yeah. You know, and you do your thing. You milk the cow Serious and take care skills. of the chickens. I'll take care of the tree. <laughs> I love it. I mean, so, you know, I love it. Yeah. Find those synergies. Yeah. So, yeah it's is. all about synergy. So, cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. So uh, if we carry on just a little bit, we go back to the military. Um, last week, oh, man. you, Here we, we, go. we talked about some, Tim is going to love this conversation. Um, we talked about, well, we've talked about the bad barracks. We've mm. talked about fat camp or whatever that was. <laughs> So pre-boot camp. camp. So this one, what I teased last week was U.S. Representative Jim Banks. This was a 20 September um, press release for a hearing on meritocracy in the military services, accession, promotion, and command selection. So um, uh, Representative Banks has prepared remarks. I'll go through a few of them. Uh, These questions, and what I said in last week's podcast, these questions go to our nation's founding principles, meritocracy, talent, and equality of opportunity. 
Across the country, these principles are under attack. They are being sacrificed at the altar of diversity, equity, and inclusion bureaucracies. Bureaucracies which demand racial and gender quotas regardless of ability. These performative social justice goals require government agencies and the military to trade skill, productivity, hard work, and ingenuity for a workforce which looks good on a brochure. This is demeaning to all Americans, including those singled out by quotas. Millions of Americans are frustrated with social justice agenda that pervades our schools, corporations, and now the Pentagon bureaucracy. For example, an August 9, 2022 memo from the Secretary of the Air Force explicitly laid out quota goals for its officer applicant pool. Apparently, Air Force officer applicants should be 15% Hispanic, 10% Asian, 67% white, 36% female, and so on. Americans are fed up. He continued, There is one place we simply can't afford to trade equal opportunity for radical ideology, the United States military. We must do whatever it takes to ensure that effort, hard work, and results are the only relevant measures of our service members. Um, Skipping down some, lethality is the only standard that will matter on the battlefield. If these policies continue, we are placing military readiness and our national security at risk, and we are putting an end to one of the last great meritocratic systems in the United States. So that was his opening remark to the hearing. They had some um, a group of, of folks that testified as panels. The uh, first panel was um, attended by uh, Peter Levine, former acting undersecretary of defense for personnel and readiness, um, Robert Greenway from the Heritage Foundation. There was uh, one other gentleman. And then the second panel was represented by all of the different services. So I can sum up the services, um, what, th- what they said, at least during their prepared remarks. And if I could summarize, it was, there's regulations on how to do promotions and accessions, and we do it that way. That was that was pretty much how it was summed up. We follow um, the regs. Yeah, pretty much. Each of them had like a, a page and a half statement. And the regs were set by whom? Uh, Congress. Congress. Um, so the Undersecretary of Defense, uh, former acting Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness, Peter Levine, he highlighted three basic points. First, diversity strengthens our military, and military leadership is more effective when it appropriately reflects the force. Second, the military promotion system is merit-based, but that doesn't mean that we have been able to make it as colorblind or objective as we might like. And his third point, uh, oh, sorry, continuing on the second, a merit-based process is not the same thing as an objective process. Then his third point was, the military has limited but important tools with which to promote diversity without undermining merit-based decisions. The twin objectives of promoting on the basis of merit and developing a diverse and inclusive leadership may sound inconsistent, but they are not. Um, He wants a process as diverse as possible, diverse uh, services work hard that officers with diverse backgrounds are not disadvantaged in the promotion process by being pigeonholed into career fields and assignments with historically low promotion rates. Um, 
uh, also ensure that boards that make promotion decisions are themselves diverse. So that was his statement. Um, if I could quickly go through congressional testimony from Robert Greenway, director of the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. He starts by saying, Woke ideologies and the politicians who promote them are eroding the effectiveness of our military by discarding the meritocracy, which ensures it is led by the most qualified and replacing it with policies that seek to promote based on criteria other than performance and potential. Um, lots of different things that he uh, goes on to say. One of the, one of the more interesting uh, this thinking is not only held by the president, also been espoused by his senior defense leaders, Air Force chief of staff at that time, and um, current now chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General C.Q. Brown, along with Undersecretary of the Air Force, Gina Ortiz-Jones, Secretary of the Air Force, Kendall, Chief of Space Operations at that time was John Raymond, all signed a memorandum detailing new diversity and inclusion goals for Air Force officers. These new goals would reduce the quota of white officers from 80%, as dictated in 2014, to 67%. More specifically, white men would be capped at 43%. Holy white crap. officers in the Air Force are currently around 77%, and 86% of pilots are white men. So um, he, he, he just continued on looking at some of the actual... Um, numbers. Uh, what if not uh, that, that many people want to do it? Yeah. What if? Well, he, he talks about that in, in some of his numbers um, because they're talking about it in the, the DEI as it applies to recruitment. They're saying that the recruiters aren't focusing enough on um, other folks. Okay. And his point uh, that he brings out in 2015, 18.6% of young white democratic men expressed a desire to serve in the military, only slightly lower than the 19.9% of non-democratic men who wanted to serve. By 2021, that number had dropped to only 2.9%. So the, the folks that they're trying to reach the number that want to serve is actually decreasing. So the outreach efforts either aren't working or are having an inverse effect of what they were wanting. I don't even know what to say. Yeah. So anyway, this there there is, um, I think the, the interesting thing for me about this one was that uh, there were some comments on on one of our shorts, and that was um, it was talking a lot about how the the military in general seems to be um, woke mm -hmm. or uh, acting in a manner that is not necessarily in accordance with the way things used to be done. And so um, the interesting thing to me was that the the folks making those comments, seem to be spot on, at least as far as yeah. our congressmen are concerned, enough so that in a, a military readiness type hearing, he would convene a meritocracy, you know, discussion about, um, it, at least in his opinion, that we're, we're getting away from a mer meritocratic uh, system with military promotions, especially. And um, I, I would... Well, you were subject 
to that and consequences and, and it felt across our across our lives when a promotion board, it was time for a promotion board and it took a really long time for the, the board's list to go up and then come back down and then go back up. And the reason that I had to make two trips from the board to the sec secretary of the Air Force was because when the, if I remember right, when the list made it to the secretary of the Air Force, there were not enough females selected for the particular rank. And she said, not enough females send it back. True? That is at least what we heard. That is not what was testified. What was what was testified was different than that, but absolutely that is what we heard was the reason that it took so long and that the list had to be redone. The testimony said well, that, that was... there are that there are things that take time, like um, you know making sure that security clearances are correct and and different things. So mm. um, that, that's what I said. As far as the services go, the testimony was we do everything in accordance <clears throat> with the rules. Thank you. Mm. Well, that may have been the rule. Well, it, if the secretary of the Air Force says it, that's the rule. Yeah, at, at, that is what we were told at, at the time. I, I can't prove that. I, I wasn't there. But the, what we were told was that the list made its way up to the secretary of the Air Force. She, she then turned it around and sent it back and said, not enough females on this list. And um, then the list went back up with more females. But I could tell you, too, as a female... And our daughter, being a female, <laughs> is a fighter pilot. And there is, she, she absolutely, 1,000% never wants anything in her job because she's a female. Yeah. She's like, don't. Yep. Don't associate my ability to do my job with my gender. Gender. Or, yeah, or anything. Yeah. I can do my job because I can do my job. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Tim? Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Yeah. I think that is reflective of how she was raised, probably. <laughs> oh, It's like wow. you make your own way and, yeah. you know, you make your bed, you sleep in it, for better yeah. or for worse. So yeah. good for her. Glad yeah. to hear that. But, mm. I'm glad we at least have some representatives out there that are looking out for keeping it based on merit. Because I want the best. Yeah. As a citizen, a taxpayer, someone who has not served and put the uniform on, but I want out there doing the job for everyone's sake to include the person's for the for the entire system i want the best one i don't care race color creed gender if you're the best one that can do that job that you're the person yeah you you have to be the person because we need you doing that thing this is the lazy person's way out i think because you know if you look back in history we can all come up with examples of people who were promoted that it's because they knew somebody or they did a favor and that's wrong because mm -hmm. then a deserving person doesn't get that. Mm -hmm. But you don't, you don't fix that by doing something that's 
order of magnitude worse mm. in another direction. It's mm. like fix the problem. Mm. You know, just yeah. just just incrementally fix it. Just don't wholesale. Oh, this isn't working, so we're going to go do something that's like way yeah. off the charts. Way out. <laughs> yeah. So that seems to be what, wow. what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well. Thank you, Tim, for joining us today. Thank you for... Yeah, uh, this was a, awesome. This has been fantastic. It's been a real pleasure and an honor to be here and also just to call you guys friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. And so Absolutely. next week on episode 11, uh, 12, I'm 12, sorry, yeah. on episode 12, I do believe that we are going to shift gears fairly dramatically and go from somebody who... You're a baby boomer, right? Okay. We're going to go from baby boomer, Ozarks, to millennial. <sighs> Ozarks. Elon All Musk? Right. No. Oh, I, think <laughs> I think he's a Gen Xer. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know how old he is. Anyway, no, Rebecca, our oldest daughter, she's going to be on next week. And we're going to get her perspective as someone who has come here in retreat as well, but for different reasons. Mm. And what this area, this, the community, and the family that she's building outside of her immediate biological family and how she is making a new life here in the Ozarks. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm yeah. excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, good. for sure. She's got a story. Yes, yes she, does. she does. And it'll, it'll be really exciting to, to hear her share it and see how she shares it. Um, so once again, thank you guys for listening and watching. And if you enjoyed this, please follow, like, and subscribe. And I'm really looking forward to some comments. Oh, I know. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Just remember, my viewpoints are not necessarily the views of... Oh, right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> okay. All right, everybody. Until next week. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. <laughs>